Well, this is not the last week of our sermon series, Enough's Enough, but it is the last week that we will spend in Colossians. Next week, we'll actually uh, spend uh, our time on one New Testament book. We'll actually do an entire book in one Sunday, one worship service. Uh, It's not going to be the book of Isaiah or anything along like that. Uh, It'll be the book of Philemon. And so we'll spend uh, one week in Philemon next week as part of the series. But this is our last week in Colossians. And as we, as we come to this, uh, some out there might be saying enough's enough <laughs> with the series. Uh, getting ready for Advent, which we're excited about. It's a time of preparation uh, for the celebration of Christmas. But today we turn our attention again back to uh, Colossians. The American Bar Association has, indicates uh, the document serves as a, a list of ethical rules uh, for those serving in the legal profession. And so here's a small sampling. I was reading it this past week. And you think about your light reading that you might have. I was reading from the American Bar Association's website. Uh, it's, here's some of the stuff that they have in their, their preamble of this particular document. A lawyer's conduct should conform to the requirements of the law, both in professional service to clients and in the lawyer's business and personal affairs. Or, or how about this? A lawyer should strive to attain the highest level of skill to improve the law and the legal profession and to exemplify the legal profession's ideals of public service. So these lawyers know what it means to practice their trade ethically. Now you could, of course, insert your own lawyer joke right there if you'd like. I'll give you a moment to do that. I'm just kidding. So we keep going here. They also, they also provide a guide for clients uh, to know what they might expect uh, from their legal counsel. Both attorneys and clients benefit uh, from the counsel's faithful adherence to these rules. And these rules give shape serves or at least conveys a kind of model rule for us as Christians. It actually helps to shape and inform what it means to live the Christian life. And although this brief list is hardly comprehensive, it's, it's very short and it doesn't it contain everything there is to know about the Christian life, it does address two important, and what I might add here, outwardly focused or other focused aspects. These are practices that we are intended to keep. So we're to translate this to our language. We were to make this into a, a John Knoxism, if it were, we might say here that this is what it means to be a grace revealer. Here's how we do that. Number one, we devote ourselves to prayer. Paul comes right out and says that from the beginning. Devote yourselves to prayer. I think most of us understand that prayer is important. But I'm not sure we recognize just how impactful prayer can be. Oswald Chambers, who has uh, probably one of the most, if not the most famous uh, devotional books ever written uh, in the English language, uh, writes this, the exercise of drawing on the grace of God. That's what prayer is for Chambers. It's the exercise of drawing on the grace of God. But yet in this area, we often find ourselves, if prayer is a kind of exercise, we find ourselves out of shape. Well, in his 1865 sermon, Uh, entitled Degrees of Power Attending the Gospel by Charles Spurgeon. And and that title alone, that sounds like an 1865 sermon title. Uh, But in that sermon, 
Spurgeon quotes Martin Luther in, in writing this. He says, quote, I have so much business to do today that I shall not be able to get through it with less than three hours of prayer. Now, if that, if that number strikes you as being absurdly high, it did for me as I was first reading that, that sermon by Spurgeon. Spurgeon contrasts that, uh, and he contrasts this recollection of Luther's quote with what he imagines is the response of the people in his day. Again, this is a sermon from 1865. Spurgeon wrote this. This is what people in his day would be saying. I have so much business to do today that I must only have three minutes prayer. I cannot afford the time. The modern world of Spurgeon's uh, day was crowding out space for prayer for his congregation, just as in our own busy schedules uh, today. There's always something next that feels more important, that feels more pressing, that needs to be attended to now. And we run, 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 yet never arrive at that place of pause where we might take hold of that gift world in prayer but my hunch is that that this is just half the story it's not just the busyness that comes in the way it's not the busyness that stops us per se but rather there's a lack of attention we're distracted we're distracted people so the practice of prayer in our lives or i might say the lack of praying often reflects our distracted and inattentive lives We find ourselves mired not in the task of the day, but perhaps in this season now we find ourselves mired in what we might find online or what might be streaming in our homes. But there's a better way, and the better way is found when we devote ourselves to prayer. And here's what that looks like. When it comes to devote it, that's the idea of being persistent, being diligent. That's the language behind there. Paul writes about prayer elsewhere where he says things like in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that we're to pray continually. That's that idea of being devoted. And we hear in the Gospels that this devotion to prayer was part of Jesus' own teaching. The Gospel writer Luke will introduce the parable of the widow and the unjust judge in Luke chapter 18 by saying this, Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. I think that line right there by itself uh, speaks a good word to us in the midst of this COVID season, not to lose heart. How do we do that? By being committed, by being devoted to prayer. Prayer then is to be a habit in the Christian life. There's a youth ministry writer named Doug Fields uh, who has a curriculum entitled The Habits of the Christian Faith or the Christian Life, and he uses that as an acrostic, and the H in there is actually the one for prayer. It's the very first one in the habits. It stands for hang time with God. But what is that hang time supposed to entail? Well, Paul here will actually fill this out uh, for us. He gives us a couple categories. Again, not a comprehensive list, but a couple pieces where, where prayer is to include the following prompts from Paul. As for the manner of prayer, Paul notes that we are to be keeping alerts in it in thanksgiving. You see that in verse, uh, verse 2. Underlying what is translated here uh, in that phrase, keeping alert, is a word used elsewhere uh, in the New Testament. It's actually a, a phrase that's used to convey the importance of being watchful uh, in the other contexts throughout the New Testament, watchful for the imminent return of Christ. 
that Christ would return was very much a part of the belief of the earliest church. It was part of that teaching. It's part of Paul's own teaching. Uh, we see this throughout uh, various writers. We also see expressions of this in the Gospels themselves. This expectation that Christ would return and that Christ would return soon uh, wasn't just something meant to be kind of a trivial type point or, or some piece of doctrine just to complete the package, but it was actually something that brought around a sense of hope. It brought a sense for people to persevere in their faith because if Jesus is coming back soon, I can, I can go one more day with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in our own day, though, uh, this particular teaching oftentimes gets captured uh, in kind of a backseat way because it gets taken up by folks that we might question some of their motives. There seems to be more attention towards trying to determine the exact day that Christ will return. I actually remember a group of folks that would, when I worked at McDonald's many years ago, they would come in every day and uh, they would order coffee and sit there and open a study Bible and talk Bible prophecy uh, for hours. And that happened each and every day, oftentimes trying to predict uh, the day that would happen. And they were sure that Christ would be returning very, very soon. The idea of Jesus' imminent return is, again, a place of hope, a place of inspiration. And Colossians, uh, the book itself, doesn't appear uh, to be one that's very loud on the topic. It's actually far quieter uh, than other uh, places of Paul's writing, things like uh, the letters to the church at Thessalonica. But it's not completely silent either. You notice that what theologians call eschatological references, or those references that would be speaking to end times, uh, we see things like Paul writing in chapter 3, verse 4. We've heard this already in the sermon series. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. seems here in chapter 4 that the present and coming reality of Christ in the life of the Christians gives impetus, or at least should, uh, to the activity of prayer. And even more, this raises within the Christian again, as it should, and the hope here is that it would, a deep sense of, of gratitude. And Paul talks about your prayers with thanksgiving, a theme that Colossians for sure is not silent about. In chapter one, you remember it was giving thanks to the Father, is what we uh, heard in there, who, was, who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Remember in chapter two, uh, they were rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Chapter three, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And that, that line ends with, be thankful. And again in chapter 3, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. And so this idea of thanksgiving running throughout this, this short book, uh, each chapter uh, picking this up. And here we have in chapter 4 once more seeing that. Well, this morning I found myself uh, before our worship service uh, playing through YouTube. Uh, and I was, uh, particularly I was listening to different versions of the same song. It was a song I remember as a child uh, hearing in our church services. I tried to sing a little bit earlier for Rachel uh, to hear as they were prepping for, for worship. Uh, some of you might be familiar with this. The words is, I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. Now, it's way more dynamic than what I just made it. Uh, oftentimes in the room when that was sung, um, there would be a lot of stomping, maybe clapping, and people would be like, I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. So you've maybe heard that song before. Um, and it would get kind of a rousing uh, rendition would happen in the congregation growing up and people would get excited and people would be jumping up and clapping and there's all kinds of different verses that would go with that particular song i think that's what paul's doing here with thanksgiving that he's reminded that the devotion to prayer 
is built on, it's based on, at its very core, a sense of deep, deep gratitude for what God has done. Oftentimes when we think about expressing thanksgiving or gratitude in our prayers, we start from the point of what do I have and how do I express thanks for that? It's almost like we're just writing thank you cards to God in our prayers in that way. So if I, if I have good health, then I want to say thank you to God. If I receive a, a raise at work, I want to say thank you to God. If I have healthy children and a healthy family, thanks to God. And we go on and on and on in, the, in that list. And it oftentimes is affected uh, by the way that we're feeling or our own personal satisfaction. We're thankful for those things that we have. I'm not saying that we're not to be thankful and be grateful for those things. But to recognize that throughout the book of Colossians to this point, that place of gratitude, that expression of devotion in prayer is an expression of what God has accomplished for you and for me in Jesus Christ. And what we experience by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can be claimed as children of God, that we have an inheritance, that we can be ones who can look uh, to heaven, that we can be heavenly-minded, that our hearts can be transformed and changed, that we have a hope for the future, that these become the basis for that thanksgiving so that we always have a place to rejoice. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad of what God has achieved and accomplished for me. That's from what I pray. So let me pause here for just a moment before we go to the second uh, place that we're called to live into as Christians. Reflecting on your own life and your own prayer life, would you see that as something that the word devoted could be applied to? Have you devoted yourself to prayer? I know I come up short many times here that this is a place that could use some more work, some more focus, some more devotion. One of the things about COVID, I think that it has revealed uh, to me is I now am presented with more time to deal with different things in life, but I don't find that I use that time as well as maybe I hoped. I don't have to travel as far to and from. I can call somebody, I can see them on Zoom, so I don't have as much travel time, but I'm not using the time, I would say, well, all the time. So being devoted to prayer is going to require uh, more action going forward, but knowing that it can have a huge impact for us, a big, gigantic impact, giving us peace, helping us tap into God's grace. Well, the th second thing that Paul invites us to in the Christian life uh, to adopt as a practice is that we're to conduct ourselves wisely towards outsiders. I caught a repost uh, originally credited to a pastor uh, who actually pastors in Queens, New York. Uh, he pastors a, a church there called New Life Fellowship. And he, he wrote this in his original post. It says, Evangelical Christianity in the United States is often characterized but not have Christ permeate our being. Our text this morning, and particularly these last two verses uh, in, the, in the reading, provide us with the contours of the Christ-permeated life. And it creates those contours for us to understand those who are outside the Christian community. Now, one of the things that I note with looking at the Scriptures is when a writer of the scriptures includes words on this type of topic, 
When they say, here's how you should conduct yourselves or how you should behave yourselves in regards to the way that you address people outside the church is because folks in the first century, just like in the 21st century, are not always good at it. And so a little reminder might be in order. Jesus uh, provided uh, clear guidance for us on our interaction uh, with insiders and outsiders. He creates a great model. But here's where we might look at what does the church's outreach and evangelism look like now? Here's what it means to reveal God's grace to the outside world. One is we're to conduct ourselves wisely. The actual idiom here is to walk in wisdom, is, is how if we were to translate that literally. And it's, the word walk is one that shows up in Colossians in chapter 1 and chapter 2 as well. Um, it's not represented in the NRSV, which is what we do our readings from, except for maybe I think there's a footnote for the, the use of it in 2.6. Um, but to have that idea that we're walking in wisdom, that, that's a regular part of our practice and the way that we move about. Recall that Paul's prayer for this community has been that they will be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. That was back in chapter 1. We'd already seen that prayer for Paul from the beginning. The hearer is exhorted to live this way and to do so making the most of the time or the opportunity. What lies behind this is a, is a participial clause that comes with some difficulty uh, determining what exactly it means when we translate it. It's, it if we literally look at the, the phrase, it means to buy out of or even the idea of redeeming time uh, is kind of how the Greek phrase is rendered there. The idea here seems to be close to what we read in our translation. And in light of what we've already heard in Colossians, we are to make wise use of the time we are allotted. Our lives are not as long as we think they are. And we don't know when they will come to an end. We don't know when Christ will return. I remember when I was an undergrad, we talked about the topic of evangelism. Uh, we were awfully fond of a quote that's attributed to Francis of Assisi, though no one really is sure if uh, Francis ever said this. But maybe you've heard this before. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Well, I think my fondness for that particular quote uh, grew from a, a place of knowing that within our curriculum, we were required to go out and evangelize uh, folks who were outside the Christian faith and, and come back and report on that. That's a tall order for, for me, who was a shy and insecure adolescent uh, at the time. This quote provided a loophole. I could go out and I could mime the Christian faith, you know, go out there and just demonstrate it. I didn't have to say anything. I could just go out there and, and live the Christian life, and that, there was my loophole. But knowing that Francis preached regularly, I don't think it carries the meaning that I hoped, uh, knowing that he was one who proclaimed uh, grace, proclaimed salvation. Part of wise conduct here uh, is in what we say to those outside the Christian community, but also how we say it. Verse 6 draws together three words, and we see these words in the Greek. We see the word for speech, logos, and grace, kara. These present interesting interpretive challenges and them being grouped together. What does seasoned with salt actually mean when we think about those words? Well, in the Greco-Roman parallels outside the scriptures, uh, it would be speech that is winsome or witty. That's not oftentimes what we think about with that particular phrase. In some rabbinic sources, uh, the word salt would be equated with wisdom itself. So what does the apostle have in mind here as he writes to a Greco-Roman audience uh, who has some uh, Jewish underpinnings in there? 
He might mean a little bit of both. I like what Matthew Henry says here uh, in his classic commentary, kind of a middle-of-the-road approach. When When we speak, when we evangelize, when we do outreach, though it be not always of grace, and to hear that in our words, grace revealers know what to say and how to say it, and these grace revealers, that's us, realize that although the Christian faith is personal, it's not private. The faith was never meant to be private. It's personal, but it's meant to be shared. It's meant to be spoken and represented. It's meant to be shared with those outside the faith so that they might be invited to come and participate as well. So returning to the pastor I quoted earlier, his name's Rich Velotas. Uh, he was, he's been pondering, there's a video that he has where he's, he ponders different questions about Christ permeating the lives of believers, and he's wrestling with the idea of the year 2020 and what that means for us based on what we've seen. He asks these questions, how do we live from a different center? How do we live with a deeper center? Question's a good question. And so we close with that question this morning to ponder for ourselves here. How do we... How do we live from a different place? How do we live from a deeper place? The Apostle Paul gives us the model, at least a a shortened model here for us, devoted to prayer, uh, conducting ourselves. uh, The model and the motivation gives us our mode and our means. And that is found in who we've heard about all along in Colossians, Jesus Christ. Remember in Colossians chapter 1, that one who is the image of the invisible God, that's the one who motivates us to be devoted to prayer, to be ones who conduct ourselves wisely. The one who's firstborn of all creation, there's our motivation. The one who has created all things, visible, invisible. The one who was before all things. The one who is the head of the body of the church. The one who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. The one who is the fullness of God, pleased to dwell within him, and through him, God pleased to reconcile to himself all things. That one is the one who motivates us to be these people. The one through whom, or by whom, is making peace through the blood of his cross, that God has reconciled us and will redeem us. That's our go out there, white-knuckling it. We don't go out there accomplishing it by our own sweat in our own tears. We go with the power of the Holy Spirit, We go as ones who've seen uh, this life modeled to us in Jesus Christ, the one who would go and pray, the one who would go and speak a wise and good word to even the furthest outsider. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, continue to live your lives in him. Verse 7, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Sisters and brothers in Christ, devote yourselves to prayer. Conduct yourselves wisely to outsiders. Lord, we thank you on this day for your great love. A love that was expressed and whose fullness is shown in your Son, Jesus Christ. The one who is far above all things. The one who is enough. Lord, help us today as your people. Help us as those who've been called by your name to once more know that enough's enough. Lord, as we step into that place where you've called us, where you've charged us to be grace revealers, 
Lord, help us to know that the one who is enough has empowered us by God's Spirit that we too might live into these places. Lord, help us to be devoted to prayer. Lord, help us to conduct ourselves wisely. Not for our glory, not that we might be esteemed, but rather for your glory, that those who do not know the living Christ might come and be renewed.